Lord Jesus, truly here in the Blessed Sacrament, we ask your grace this time of prayer that we may be truly present to you who are here present before us. My brothers, I'd like to just review sort of the situation that we are in as, um, as the church. And to speak first of sort of the news, the reaction, the reality, and the response. And the news is what catches our attention the most. Uh, it's sort of the shiny object that in a lot of ways can be distracting, but uh, I hope to make that clear. And the news is, of course, we have the reports of a cardinal of the church abusing his power in the uh, most depraved manner. Uh, we have a state attorney general uh, releasing evidence uh, against uh, priests and revealing uh, not just grave depravity, but demonic uh, behavior, uh, gravely uh, immoral, criminal, uh, an abuse of power, grave harm done to, to people, uh, and, a, and a wake of victims uh, a mile wide. And then we have sort of an open argument between an archbishop and, and even the pope, um, sort of where we are. It's, it's out there for all to see. Uh, the uh, immorality, the, the defects, uh, the division uh, within the church. The reaction that we have is understandable, and if you actually if you don't have these reactions, um, there's really something terribly wrong with you. And the first reaction, uh, well, depending on your temperament, but for mine, uh, is anger. Anger at uh, injustice, anger at what's been done to victims, what's been done to the church, anger, abuse of, of other people, abuse of power. Another reaction, of course, is, is sadness for those who, who have been victimized. Um, and, then, and then shame. Shame that, that this is what the world is seeing of, of Christ's body, the church, his presence in the world. For the first time in my priesthood, I, I hesitated. I was just going to go take a walk. Uh, last summer, right after this grand jury report, I was going to go... Uh, just take a walk in the neighborhood, just get out, stretch the legs, and I actually hesitated whether or not to put on my collar as I went out of my residence. I did in the end, but it's the first time that I've ever felt a hesitation um, because of that natural reaction of, of shame. Anger, sadness, shame, these are understandable reactions. But then we have to get to the reality of the situation, not just what's in the news, because, you know, interestingly, that can be distraction. Uh, the, the reality is, is well, there's, um, it's revealed sexual immorality, um, obviously in, in the abuse uh, of others, um, fortunately has revealed homosexuality even within the clergy, uh, and that is something that needs to be not just acknowledged, but addressed and, and um, and then, of course, 
some have said, you know, clericalism. Well, yes, there's sort of a, you know, kind of a, a secretive, privileged, uh, indulgent uh, way of life that has been revealed, and, uh, and it's shameful. You know, nothing new under the sun, and it is, you know, here before us is the one who is poor, chaste, and obedient for our salvation. And what we have encountered, what's been revealed, the reality of it, is a lack of poverty among those who should be leading the church. Uh, it's, it's a, a culture of indulgence, of entitlement, of privilege, uh, a lack of chastity those, among those who should be purest of heart, and uh, a lack of obedience in the sense that uh, certainly a disobedience to superiors in some regards, but also uh, a lack of obedience to, to, to one's office and to the trust that has been placed in a man. Because obedience is really just, it's not just looking to one's superiors. There, there's a certain obedience to one's state in life. What's been entrusted to me? I need to be obedient to that. I need to exercise that uh, in a responsible way. Uh, I need to exercise what's been entrusted to me and not just my own will or my own thoughts or opinions. Poverty, chastity, obedience, the poor, chaste, and obedient Christ, the poor, chaste, and obedient Savior. That's the path he always shows us to, to quell those, those fallen instincts that we have to uh, possessions, to pleasure, and to power. And unfortunately, what's been revealed is a failure to live poverty, chastity, and obedience, and sort of a, a turning towards a giving into that fallen instinct for possessions, pleasure, and power. And that's the reality. The reality, mean, I mean, going deeper than just what's in the news. What's the reality of the situation? Because there's what's on the surface, but then, of course, the interior uh, truth. That's the reality. What has brought all of this about? And it is a grave a spiritual failure. Uh, we can certainly see the fingerprints, the hoof prints, however you want to call it, of, of the evil one, uh, cloven hoof prints all over this, uh, as he has assaulted the church, and as is always his ways, you know, going after the shepherd. Strike the shepherd and the flock shall be scattered. Uh, and, and too many have, been, have opened themselves to that, and, and then unfortunately, become cooperators with that and perpetrators. This is the reality. And if we don't take the spiritual dimension of this seriously, then, then we're reducing all of it to just uh, another institutional failure. And the only way it will be addressed by more institutional changes, and, just, and we just got, have to get the proper protocols in place, right? Just, we just need another policy. Uh, brothers, many of you know that I'm in my office for the diocese. I, I'm, I'm in charge of, of, of many policies, and um, I have a desire never to act and enact another policy. So it's just it's loathsome, right? <laughs> uh, some new policies and protocols might be necessary, probably are, but the real issue is not uh, sort of the institutional dimension. It's the spiritual dimension. And, and that brings us to, to this other point. Um, 
What is our response? Response is different from reaction. A reaction is just sort of immediate, isn't it? Uh, A response is something different. A response needs to be deliberately chosen. After reflection, uh, after prayer, after some great consideration and thought, then we respond. So what does our response have to be? Now keep in mind, brothers, that um, if I'm speaking to a group of priests, this would take on a different tenor, but um, I'm speaking to laymen, and um, so some of the things will be the same. Uh, And I I, I mention this just by way of saying that I'm not singling you out and blaming you, but I do want to challenge you. It's counterintuitive, but our first response has to be repentance, which is, what? (laughs) We didn't do this. It might be, you know, your your first reaction to that. We weren't the ones. It's you guys. Fair enough. That's true. Uh, But the body of Christ is one, and we are all, we form one organic whole as a body. One, One member suffers, all suffer. One is glorified, all are glorified. If one repents, that becomes sort of a tug in the right direction for all of the rest. And to go a little deeper into this, yeah, it is a, a problem uh, of, of the clergy primarily. Um, but it more broadly, I, I think of, of men and in a failure uh, of, of the leadership that has been entrusted to men in the clergy. But... You know, man, Adam, and men are the first priests, naturally speaking. It was first entrusted to Adam, to, to a man, to bring the entire worship of the world before the Father. That was entrusted first to Adam and through him to everyone else. Of course, over the course of, of salvation history, various priesthoods have, have emerged and so today. But still you, as, as men and as sons of God, as, as those who are baptized into Christ, you have a share in his priesthood, which means that, in fact, you have a greater power of prayer and of intercession and of sacrifice than, than Adam did and than the Levites did in ancient Israel. That extraordinary power of your heart being made an altar, that's been entrusted to you. The inspiration or theme for this, for this day of prayers from Malachi chapter 3. Behold, I send my messenger to prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, is coming says the Lord of hosts. We'll be hearing this you know, more frequently uh, in, in a little over a month. And it sounds like wonderful news, right? The messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord. Oh, the one in whom I delight. It's wonderful. We're looking forward to it. And then the next sentence. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. 
putting the metal into the fire, burning away from it whatever is not pure silver, pure gold, refining it by fire. If the metal could cry out, it would. And then, he will purify the sons of Levi. Who are the sons of Levi? They're the priests. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. Pray for that, brothers. That refining of the priesthood and of priests. But I imagine that the silversmith has to get pretty close to the fire in order for these things to be refined. So in your prayer, realize that you need to be refined as well. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver till they present right offerings to the Lord. It's all ordered towards proper worship and sacrifice. Repentance is first. Because those natural reactions of anger, shame, sadness, those can go off the rails. We should be angry. We should feel shame. We should feel sadness. Our Lord grew angry. We have in your packet the accounts of our Lord throwing the money changers out of the temple, not politely asking them to leave, not advocating for a new policy of the temple, uh, but just throwing them out physically. And he was angry, but not sinning. Our Lord was sad. He wept over Jerusalem. Why? Because Jerusalem's destruction was coming because of her infidelity. He wept. And there was real tears. It was not crocodile tears, as we would say. It wasn't, it wasn't make-believe. He was really moved to that sadness over the victims of sin. And he felt shame. He was put to shame. He endured that in his passion and death. He didn't just give his life. He didn't even just sacrifice his life. He, he sacrificed his life in the most shameful and public way. We are to participate in that. And our repentance is ordered towards the purification of our hearts. That's where the refining needs to be. Because if these emotions are there without a pure heart, they become toxic. Anger in an impure heart becomes toxic. Sadness becomes toxic. Shame becomes toxic. They, they eat away at us. For them to be in their proper place, we need to strive for that purity of heart that comes through repentance. So stepping back and asking, well, where have I failed? Where have I failed in poverty, chastity, and obedience? Where have I desired a life of privilege or indulgence? Where have I been unchaste? Where have I used other people? Where have I abused power, disobeyed? We need every single one of us to be purified of these things. Not so that we just say, okay, well, now everything's better, but precisely so that we can respond better. Precisely so that the anger, sadness, and shame that we ought to feel is properly ordered in its right place and then can be uh, can be an incentive uh, for greater reform of life, for greater reform in the church.
which is, I think, the next kind of response, is reform of our own lives. I mean, that's part of repentance, right? Uh, it's no true repentance unless we're willing to reform our lives. I know in speaking with so many of my brother priests that this crisis has, has really prompted a, a, all of us to step back and say, okay, I've got to get more serious about my priesthood. Uh, it doesn't minimize what others did wrong, but I've got to get more serious about my priesthood. And brothers, you need to be more serious about the, the share in Christ's priesthood that you have. That you've been entrusted with the mission to pray, to intercede for your family, for your wives, your children, uh, for whoever's entrusted to your care, whoever's in your kind of sphere of priestly influence in your life. And so that requires a reform. Okay, how can I do that better? Where in my life can I intercede better or come and adore, adore the Lord better? Where can I come to know him better? What things need to be changed? Repentance, reform, and reparation. Which is one of the the most unpopular, right? Because it it requires sacrifice. In August, shortly after the Pennsylvania Grand Jury Report, Bishop Burbage sent out an email to all the priests uh, telling them that he wants them to, uh, every Friday, uh, make make it a day of mortification and reparation, um, praying for healing of the victims and and reparation for the sins of of, of the clergy. Uh, Asked that that, that masses of reparation be, be offered in every parish once a month. And he asked, you know, of course, to, that this become a part of our daily rosary. Was, the first step was, okay, we, we, need, we need to go deeper. We need to go to the taproot of who we are as a church and unite ourselves cl- more closely with the sacrifice of Christ. The Lord here before us is, is not just our, our, our Lord and the Blessed Sacrament. This is the crucified and risen Lord, still crucified, uh, but now risen. He still bears his wounds when we adore him here under the form of bread, we are adoring the one who still bears the wounds of his crucifixion and invites us to participate in his sacrifice. So reparation, when, when was the last time that I fasted? Or denied myself in some deliberate way throughout the day? Uh, denied myself some, some pleasure at a table or in entertainment or whatever? And physical mortification is you know, not, not just pieties, but, but really sort of realizing that uh, the body is what leads us, the, the flesh, that fallen dimension of us, is what leads us astray so often. And so it needs to be tamed by acts of reparation. When the apostles who are on Mount Tabor with our Lord of the Transfiguration, when, when they all come down from the mountain, after seeing this extraordinary vision of our Lord, having this incredible encounter with Christ, seeing him in his glory, hearing the Father's voice. You know, and, and, and Peter, of course, being Peter, um, has the right instinct but the wrong timing and blurts out, you know, I, I, basically, let's build three tents. In other words, I want to stay here. Can we stay here? 
uh, and they, they go back down the mountain and uh, back to just the world, the fallen world. And the first thing they encounter is the demoniac boy. And the other apostles are gathered around and they're trying to exorcise this demoniac boy. And they can't. And they had done such things before. Our Lord had already sent them out to preach and to exorcise, to cast out demons. That was one of the the first things he gave them to do. What's that for on-the-job training? But with this demoniac boy, they, they, they can't do it. And our Lord's somewhat exhausted with them, and, and, and he exercises the boy. And the apostles ask him after, afterwards, why couldn't we do it? And his response is one that we need to take to heart. This kind only comes out through prayer and fasting. You know, there's a, there's a hierarchy among the angels, the good angels and the fallen angels. There's some, some, some demons that are just dumb as rocks. <laughs> could probably be cast out with a nod of the head. Uh, and there are others who are pretty deep in there uh, and pretty strong. How are those cast out? Our Lord indicates that this essential weapon, which we've forgotten, prayer and fasting. We went through similar crises, of course, uh, 16 years ago. And then even before that, back in the early 90s. Have we applied these, these weapons? Have we used them? This kind only comes out through prayer and fasting. There is a demonic influence in the church. There's a demon that needs to be cast out. Will we step forward and say, I'll lend myself to prayer and fasting for this? To defend, defend the church, defend your wives, children, uh, and to look for that, for that reform that we all desire so that the church can be more perfectly who she really is. For behold, the day comes burning like an oven when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that comes shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will, not, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. Being refined, being placed in the refiner's fire, as we say, for the church and in the church, it's not an easy place to be. We wonder if all, you know, what, what all is going to be burned up. Rest assured, just the bad stuff. What will happen, of course, is that some of the stuff that we thought was good might be burned up because it's actually not good for us. We should pray that that happens. But for, the, but for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will, shall rise with healing in its wings. Prefer it, say, with healing in his wings, the son of righteousness, Christ, here, the one who enlightens, the one who casts out darkness because of his righteousness, his holiness, his oneness with the Father. That is for those who fear his name. So, my brothers, let's, let's pray for that holy fear of his name and pray for that refinement uh, of our hearts and our minds Placing ourselves here uh, before our Lord. Um, some of you knew Father Ron Gillis. I n- never forget him referring to adoration as radiation therapy. Um, and you're just kind of like here before our Lord and, and, and here the Son of Righteousness. Here is our, our Lord's Sacred Heart 
the furnace of divine love. Here is the fire. And ironically, we forgot to light the candles. Um, but still, the fire is there. Oh, happy fault. You know, the fire is there more than if the candles were lit. Uh, and he is here. So be here in front of him. And don't be afraid to ask him, Lord, refine my mind so that I see things clearly. Refine my will so that it's not inclined to selfishness, but so that it's purified of that and is made strong to seize on what you want me to seize on. It doesn't do any good to surrender our wills to, our, to, to the Lord if, our, if we're weak-willed. What's he going to do with that? It's like pushing a rope, as Bishop Averti used to say. It's useless. We need to give him a strong will, one purified of all selfishness and weakness. And pray that he refines our passions, our emotions, so that we are in union with his heart, so that the anger that he feels, we feel too. The sadness that he feels, we feel too. And the shame. Let's not be afraid of these things, but place ourselves before him. Be generous in opening your hearts, your intellect, your will, your passions to him so that he can make this purification so that the refiner's fire will come here from the altar and assist each of you, purifying you so that you can be made more purely sons of God.